2.14 But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. Look at this last line. Because they are spiritually what? Spiritually discerned. Father, I pray today that you would give us discernment. It is the need of the hour in your church and amongst your people. Lord, help us to understand it. Help us to seek it. And help us to find it in you and through your word. We give you the praise today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you are like me, especially as you've gotten a little bit older, if you go somewhere where there's a big parking lot and you get in the store and do your business and you come out and you're like, uh-oh, it's out there somewhere. I have no idea where it's at. I'm not the only one. Come on. Come on now. Here's what I do, and I bet you do too. You start hitting that button, don't you? And then finally when it starts making noise, you hope you don't set the alarm off because then everybody looks at you like you're crazy. But I was reading this week, and uh, I guess, I mean, they do a study on everything, right? Our tax dollars probably paid for this study too. But they said, if you're doing that, if you're like me and you can't find your car and you're hitting the button, if you hold it by your head, they actually will transmit the signal farther. So, I mean, they did studies on this, guys. I'm not making it up. I haven't tried it yet, but if you see me at Myers doing this... Just mind your business. I'm looking for the truck. All right? But they said, put that thing up to your head and it will help you find what you're looking for. I thought, man, what a good illustration this week about what I'm talking about. We have got to use our heads to see things the way that God wants us to see them. But we can't just use our heads without the Spirit of God changing us, without the Word of God changing us. We need to have our minds renewed. We never have our minds transformed by the Word of God. And that is a lacking thing today in the church. John MacArthur, who some of you are familiar with, some of you have his books and Bibles and listen to him regularly, he was asked, what is the greatest need in the church today? Here's his answer. He says, it's simple for me to answer that. The biggest problem in the church today is the absence of discernment. He said, it's the biggest problem with Christian people. They make bad choices, they accept the wrong things, they accept the wrong theology, they are prone to the teaching, to the wrong teaching, they're unwise in who they follow, what they listen to, and what they read. That was John MacArthur's estimation of the state of Christianity today. He probably said that 10 years ago, so I can only imagine what he would say now, right? The way that things have spiraled into more deception and more false teaching, as the Bible said was going to happen in the last days. It, it, it should not catch us off guard, guys, that things are rapidly increasing as far as deception and false teaching. The Bible promised it, and we are living it today. I, I'm not a big boxing fan, per se. don't really watch it or follow it, but I do know that one of the most successful boxers of all time was Floyd Mayweather, 50-0. and 0. He wasn't a great knockout fighter, but he was a very defensive fighter. And most of the time, what he would do is just move around a lot, duck and move, for half the fight until the opponent was wore out. And then he'd get an opening. Finally, the hands would drop down, they'd expose himself, and that was where he could get in at. I believe that's what has happened to a lot of people in the church today. The last few years have made people so weary. I mean, just life. I have never seen more anxiety, more fear, more depression, discouragement, 
all of that stuff seems to have just exploded in the last few years. And I believe that over time, that weariness has just caused us to lose a little bit of the fight in us. In Jude, I don't have this slide up there, but God just gave me this scripture on the way to church this morning. In the book of Jude, he tells the folks there that are being bombarded with false teaching to contend for the faith. To contend for the faith. That is to put up a fight, guys. To struggle. To not give up. To not quit. We need to stay engaged in the midst of a lot of false teaching today. And so, I'm going to go to a lot of places today in the Scriptures because God took me all over this week. Alright? So, if you're taking notes, just write these down. I don't expect you to flip all over. But I do want you to please... Take these notes down. Please pay attention today. I'm asking you to just, if you need to turn your phones off, turn them off. Whatever you need to do. But I want you to get this today. I feel it is too important to miss it. Okay? So stay with me. We're going to look at a lot of stuff. I want you to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we looked at verse 14. But I want to walk you to that verse. I want to tell you in context what is going on so that you can see. Paul starts out the chapter talking about wisdom, worldly wisdom, and how the preaching of the gospel doesn't require worldly wisdom. It's foolishness to the natural man to preach the gospel. Okay, The natural man is not going to receive it. He's not going to understand it. Then he gets to verse 6. Just walk with me through these verses as we go back to verse 14. Verse 6, he talks about the fact that we need to have a godly or a mature spiritual, if you will, type of wisdom. This is going to be different from the wisdom of the world. He's making a contrast in that verse, okay? So then he goes on in verse 7 and he says that this wisdom from God that he's speaking is a mystery. The word mystery in the Scriptures is different from the kind of idea we probably get in English. Mystery just means in the Scriptures something that was previously unknown, all right? So up until this point, what Paul is saying was largely unknown. But now he is going to begin revealing this mystery to them that was once hidden, if you will. And so what he's trying to convey there is man cannot discover this on their own. This is a spiritual truth that must be spiritually discerned. You're not going to get this just by being smart in human estimation. Then he goes on in verse 8. This is a wisdom that the world doesn't know. He says if they would have known this, they wouldn't have crucified Christ in the flesh, God in the flesh. They wouldn't have done that. They had no idea what they were doing, really and truthfully. He says that they didn't have the wisdom. Look at verse 9. You'll know this one. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have it entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Just a little side note. That verse has nothing to do with heaven. We quote that all the time when we're talking about heaven. And maybe you can draw some parallels from it. But reading it in context today, I hope you see, this verse has nothing to do with heaven particularly. He's talking about, he's been talking about the wisdom that we must gain from the Spirit. A wisdom that does not come from the world. A wisdom that human eye has not seen nor ear heard. It's not even entered into the heart of men, the things which God has prepared for those that love Him. That's what he's talking about in context. He's talking about this wisdom that the world cannot comprehend. Okay? Go on with me. Verse 10 through 12. He speaks in that section about how does this wisdom come to us? How is He going to relate this wisdom to us? Over and over He tells them, 
by the Spirit. By the Spirit of God. Therefore, who has the Spirit? Believers. So only believers are able to comprehend the spiritual things that God is saying to them and to us today. Verse 13, he talks about the fact that these things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual with spiritual. Then we come to our verse today. And I want you to really focus in on what he said at the end of verse 14. These things can only be known by us with the Spirit, not by the world. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. I want you to underline that word. If you write in your Bibles, underline it, highlight, write it down. That is our focus. The message today is just simply titled, Discernment, the Need of the Hour. I want you to see that and get that in your mind. First and foremost, what on earth does it even mean to have discernment? What does it mean to be able to discern things? I want to give you the biblical definition or several definitions that can fall under the same umbrella. Number one, to discern things means to be able to distinguish between two. To distinguish between two. Whether that's good and evil, light and darkness, right or wrong, discernment is the ability to be able to spiritually comprehend the difference between things. Okay? That's one meaning. All these fit together. But I'm just giving you a few different examples. Another one is a legal term. To examine as a witness. So if something's on the stand and the prosecutor goes up and he is just hammering away, trying to make sure that the witness's testimony is true and faithful. That's the same idea as discernment. We have got to look at things and spiritually examine them through the Word of God. And have discernment to say, this is, this is of God, this is not of God. This is good, this is not good. Not the opinions of man, not the wisdom of the world, but what God says about any given topic or subject. It can also mean to interrogate someone. And then the last meaning of discernment is the one where the world will get really uncomfortable, and maybe you will too. To discern things means to judge judge that's a dirty word anymore in it probably shouldn't even say that a lot you can't say that in a lot of churches anymore can you to judge things to judge people we have become so afraid anymore to be labeled judgmental that we'll fall for anything we will not say a word about anything because we don't want to be labeled a pharisee we don't want to be labeled hateful or bigot a bigot and so we just keep our mouth shut. How's that been working for us? Not very good at all, is it? The enemy loves it when we're silent. Now look, I'm not saying we go around and be hateful and just pick fights with everything and anything we can find. But we need discernment, guys. And you make judgment calls every day on things. You do. But God says we are to judge, but to judge a righteous judgment. He says that judgment must begin in the house of the Lord. These are all scriptures, but all we pull out is Matthew 7, 1. Judge not, lest you be judged. If you would just read the context, you hear me say it every week, context, context, context. Verses 7, 1 is not isolated, guys. It comes in a group. Verses 1 through 6 is the context. And in the very next verses, he tells you how to make a judgment. He says don't judge by worldly means, by your own personal preference. But he says, take the plank out of your eye, then... Then 
you can examine your brother's speck. But he didn't say, just don't worry about it, did he? And at the end he says, don't cast your pearls before swine. I have to make a judgment call to determine who the swine are, don't I? You see? He's not saying in Matthew 7, 1 that we should never judge and avoid it and, and run from it. He's saying to not judge in a human type of arrogant, self-righteous wisdom. But we have to use the wisdom of God if we're ever going to be able to judge or discern anything. Right? But Christians today say, I hear this all the time. Well, it's just not my place to judge. Yes, it is. It most certainly is. Not in your own wisdom again, but by the Word of God. Use discernment, church. Judge things before you just blindly receive them. Well, God is the only judge. Yes, the lost will stand before God. I'm not judging someone's salvation. We're not called to be the judge of someone's salvation. We can look at fruit and we can in love go to them and say, hey, I have been examining some things in your life. I've seen some things in your life. My life's a mess too. I'm not saying I'm better than you. But I've noticed some things that have me worried about you. Are you okay? Do you feel like you're walking with the Lord? Can we pray together? That's love, guys. That's what the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to help one another with these things. Right? All right. So now that we've got a, a, a little bit of a foundation... I told you I'm going to take you a lot of places here this morning. Just stick with me. Hebrews 5.14. I want you to look at that verse. Because if we're going to get discernment, we have to learn how, don't we? We have to see what the Bible tells us about having discernment, getting discernment, growing in discernment. So Hebrews 5.14 says this, Solid food belongs to those who are of full age, mature in the faith. You can't stay on milk forever. You've got to grow up and get into the meat at some point. So, solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Listen to what he says. Those who by reason of use. What he's about to say, these folks have matured because they have put something into practice. They have exercised it. And it has helped them to grow. Okay? Who by reason of use have their senses exercised, some translations use the word trained there, to do what? To discern. There's our word again. To discern both good and evil. He says that the only way you're going to mature, to get on solid food, is to put this into practice. If you're tossed around back and forth with every wave of doctrine, the Bible says you are an unstable man. And you are unstable in all your ways. You have got to be rooted in the Word of God. And you've got to use the Word of God to make judgment calls on the way that you live. We've been doing memory verses every month to try to hide God's Word in your heart. That's a good thing. But at some point, you've got to put those verses to practice. You can walk around and quote Genesis to Revelation. If you don't believe any of it or live any of it, it does you zero good. You have got to have discernment in your life. So I'm going to give you three things today as I normally try to do, try to give you some points to stick in your mind. So write these down. Number one, discernment has a source. If we need discernment, we need to know where to go to get it. It's not found everywhere. So we have to find out, number one, what the Bible says about the source of discernment. And this is where we get this wrong right off the bat, and that's why everything else falls apart after it. We've missed this. The biggest, I believe the biggest problem today is that people are convinced that ultimately discernment originates with them. That they are the final authority 
when it comes to knowing what discernment is or how to discern things. And what is it, church, that so many people use today as the source of discernment? Their feelings. Their feelings. Just, just think about it for just a minute. I'm on, I want to talk about that. How many times have you seen people do things and maybe immediately the red flags are waving in the wind and you're like, man, this is all sorts of wrong here. And you try to talk to them. You maybe even open up, try to open up the Bible and show them stuff. And here's the answer that I've gotten and I'm sure you've gotten or at least heard before. I know it's from God because I have peace about it. I feel at peace. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving my husband, I'm leaving my wife to go with this person and I know God's okay with it because I have peace about it. I'm going to do this thing even though the Word of God condemns it because I've got a just peace over it. I've prayed about it and I feel at peace. The Bible says in the last days that people will walk around and say peace... Peace when there is no peace. He says sudden destruction will come upon them as a thief in the night. Peace from God is wonderful. But peace because you feel good is no good if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, which is always good. Amen? You have got to realize that you are not the source of discernment. How about this one? Well, I know what the Bible says, but I just know in my heart that it's going to be okay. I know in my heart that it's going to be okay. The very heart that Jeremiah said is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? You're trusting that? That's your gauge for discernment? That's a bad idea. A lot of times people just use the majority opinion. A lot of people just can't even think anymore for themselves, so they just go with what everybody else does. Well, you know, there's 400 people. Here goes Jim Jones with the Kool-Aid. I guess I'll just go along too. Right? That didn't work out very well, did it? There's David Koresh. He's got a nice place down in Waco. Let's just join up with that. We're just so blind to things that we just follow the crowd. And where does the broad road take us? To destruction. Yes. And we're marching along with no discernment at all. Here's what I want you to get. Here's a sub-point to that. There is a source. And it's not us. It's not our feelings. So what is it? We are called to discern, guys, but we are not the discerner. I never had looked at this verse in this way until this week. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. We're going to come back to this verse at the end of the message too, but listen to this. The Word of God, the Word of God is living and powerful. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. See that word sword. Piercing even to the division. I want you to see that word too piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and is a discerner. That's the only time in the Bible that that word is used in that way. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. The Bible is the source of discernment. It is the source of discernment. If we want to know if something is right or wrong, Dark or light, good or evil, we have got to consult the Word of God. That is the thing, the only thing that will discern for us truth in our, <clears throat> excuse me, in our life. 
Jen Wilkin, who writes a lot of women's Bible studies. I don't know, Sandra, if you've ever done anything with Jen Wilkin before here. I think we did uh, at the other church. But she said this, and this is really good. It's not coincidental that a lack of discernment and a neglected Bible are often found in company. Amen to that. I'm going to read that again. It's not coincidental that a lack of discernment and a neglected Bible are often found in company. That's the truth, guys. If you don't know this book, you are going to be in for a very, very rough ride. You are going to be pulled all sorts of ways. And it's so sad to me today because there's churches all over. And I didn't know this until I got into the ministry and people would come, whether it was here or Freedom, and they would come and I would talk to them. They were guests that would come and I'd say, How, you know, do you know somebody here? And most of the time they'd be like, no, we just felt led here. We just pulled. I had one guy come one time and he said, I was going to the church next door and I pulled in the wrong driveway, but it was after 11, so I just stayed. And he's like, I've been here ever since. I'm telling you the truth. I mean, God would just bring people to the church. He does that here. You know, we invite people and a lot of times they'll never show up. The ones we invite, people just come in. We're like, you know, anybody's like, no, I just pulled in here. Praise God. You know, that's wonderful. But I say all that to say, when I talk to them, I was shocked how many times they said, we've just been looking for a church and nobody preaches the Bible. Like I've, I've heard people say, I went to church and they never even opened the book. I, I mean, that just blows me away. I mean, I just don't understand like what, what is going on, you know? I mean, what on earth is going on if somebody gets in the pulpit and leaves this thing at home or leaves it closed? What are they feeding you with? It ain't the truth. That's for sure. It's probably their opinion or just some stories and jokes that aren't going to help you ultimately in your spiritual walk. I think a lot of our churches today have become so man-centered. Everything is just about feeling good and getting your ego padded a little bit so that you can walk out of there and feel better. Listen, the Word of God will encourage you. The Word of God will give you joy. The Word of God will give you peace. The Word of God will give you assurance. I don't need to try to work that up in your life. I can just show you what God has done and will do for you, and you ought to leave out of here happy and excited to know Him. That's enough, guys. That's what, ultimately what we need. The Bible is our source for discernment, period. Nothing else. That is it. And a lot of times, and men are guilty of this, and I'm guilty of this, if you go to the store and you buy something that needs assembled, and you dump all the stuff out on the floor, and you find the screws and the, the cam, and you find that generic Allen wrench that they give you that strips out as soon as you do anything with it, right, guys? That thing's worthless. You throw that away. But what we oftentimes throw away, or at least set aside, too, is what? The directions, right? And then later, we're like, hey... Can you bring the trash bag? I threw that paper and I don't know what I'm doing here. But we do the same thing in life. We set this book aside and then when things get a mess, we say, oh, I guess I probably ought to read. Probably ought to get my Bible out today. Man, get it out every day. Open it all the time. Even if things are going good, read it. Because you're going to encounter things where you need to know the truth. And if you don't know it, you are going to be in for a mess. The Bible says that the Word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I need the Word of God to show me where I'm going. I need it to light the way so I know where I'm going. Isaiah said, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God endures forever. Everything else is changing. Culture changes, society changes, opinions change. God's Word never changes. You can rely on it and rest in it forever. Jesus prayed in John 17, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. 
It is the source of truth. God binds Himself to His Word. He'll never contradict it. He will never go against it. And He will never change it. You can rest in it as the source. But here's the dangerous thing, number two. Discernment has a source in the Word of God. Discernment, number two, can be spurned. Just because you know where to look for it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to receive it and obey it. And we see that all the time. Let me take you all the way back to the book of Genesis. You can turn there or you can just write this down and and study it later. Where is the first time in the Bible that discernment is mentioned? All the way back in the book of Genesis. In chapter 27. 27 verse 23 specifically. Just to catch you up on it, this is the story of Jacob and Esau. And they're going to deceive old Isaac. Esau is the elder son who is supposed to receive the blessing. But they're going to deceive Isaac into giving the blessing, the blessing to Jacob instead. How do they do that? They go to great lengths. They put him in Esau's clothes. They put some, some hair on him because Esau was very hairy. So if Isaac touches him, it's going to feel like Esau. He's going to smell like Esau. I mean, they really thought this thing out and made plans to deceive Isaac. The enemy will go to great lengths to deceive you. Remember that. He will do whatever it takes to deceive you. Even appearing as something or someone different than what they really are. You need to see that in the story. This is a story, yes, but man, there's some good spiritual application for this, for us in this. Listen to what it says in Genesis 27, verse 23. I'm going to read it to you from the King James Version. And he, that's Isaac, here's our word, he discerned. I know a lot of translations use recognize there, but the, the Hebrew word is discerned. He discerned him, Jacob, not. Why? Because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. They had done everything necessary to deceive old Isaac, and it worked. It worked. Why does this happen? Why did this happen? Man, I read this this week, and I looked at this this week, and I just was amazed at some of the things that I saw in this. Look at what it says at the very beginning of chapter 27. Verse 1 of chapter 27. Now it came to pass, when Isaac was old, listen to this, his eyes were so dim that he could not see. He called Esau his older son, and he said to him, My son. How does this happen to Isaac? He's blind. He can't see. He can't see what's going on. The deception right in front of him could not be seen because he was blind. Now you think about that for a minute. If you believe that we're living in the last days, and if you believe in the book of Revelation, that as we look at those seven churches, we see pictures of the church itself throughout different, different dispensations of the world, I believe that there is no doubt that we are living in the Laodicean church age. The age of lukewarmness and apathy. I believe that's where we're at. What did it say about the church in Laodicea? Their estimation, remember, what do people say today is their gauge for discernment? Me, how I feel. They said, we're rich, we lack nothing, we got everything we need, it's all good. If you were with us when I preached to the seven churches, you remember us talking about Laodicea. They had everything from a worldly perspective, and they, they thought they were great. But in Revelation 3.18, what is God's estimation? That's what matters, what God thinks of us, what His Word says of us, not what we think. Here's what God thought of the church in Laodicea. I counsel 
you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. They said we're rich already. He said, no, no, no. You need the gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Listen to what he says at the end. Anoint your eyes with eye salve. Why? What's that say? That you may see. They were blind. Not physically like Isaac. They were spiritually blind. They thought they were fine. And God says you are far from fine. And I believe He's saying that to many churches and many Christians today. Because listen again. I'm just trying to share with you things. I know you've heard these things. You might have said these things. I'll talk to people today about the music they listen to, the stuff that they watch on television, the books that they read, and the more that you talk to people about it, you know what they say? I don't see anything wrong with it. You know what the problem is? You don't see anything, period. You don't see anything wrong with it because you just don't see anything because you have no discernment. You say, Pastor, that sounds awful harsh. Maybe it is. But I'm telling you the truth. There are so many people deceived. And the problem with deception is you don't know when you're deceived. Like, there's not a big red light flashing over your head that's saying, I'm deceived. You're deceived and you're convinced you're not. And anybody that tells you you are, they're the ones that's wrong. And that's why we can't go back and forth and say, Phyllis, you're right. No, Chris is right. Phyllis is right. Chris is right. we got to go to the book. And even then it can cause confusion because there may be different interpretations. But this has got to be the source. At least if you're going to justify your sin, you're going to have to show me in the book that it's not sin and God's okay with doing it. If you can't find a scripture in there, then I'm going to reject your discernment about what you're doing in your life. It is not a physical blindness that the church is suffering from. It is a willful blindness. We have accepted being blind. We don't care that we're blind. We don't even know that we're blind, guys, at this point anymore. And here's the dangerous thing about that. If you will continue to reject the Word of God long enough, and you will continue to do it your way, what does it say in Romans chapter 1 happens to people that continue to live in their sin and rebel against God? Some of the scariest words in the Scriptures are found in Romans 1.24, Romans 1.26, and Romans 1.28. It says there and there over again, God gave them up to a reprobate mind. God gave them up to the lust of their passions. God gave them up. One of the scariest places that you can be is you say, I'm going to do it my way, my way, my way, until God finally says, Go ahead. Go ahead. You say, well, I thought we thought of something about His mercy is more and compassion never ending. Yes, He is. And amen. He doesn't deserve, we don't deserve to get any of that. If He gives it to us one time, it's more than we deserve. But if you keep dabbling with sin, eventually it's going to bite you. The Bible says, can a man take fire into his bosom and not be burned? If you toy around with it and play with it long enough, there will be a consequence that comes. And God can say no more. And He's justified in doing that. If That's why I tell you week after week during the invitation, if you're lost and God is dealing with you, you better get it right today. Because He is not obligated, or nor are you guaranteed another opportunity. If He's dealing with you about some sin in your life, don't worry about what anybody thinks. Don't worry about how it might affect your job, your family. You need to confess it and get rid of it. Amen. Today. That is the only option that we have, guys. And so... Not only was Isaac blind and we are suffering from a blindness. I saw something else this week and it made me ask a question. 
Isaac seems to be intent on blessing Esau. Now, he was the oldest son, which naturally in that time was the one that was supposed to be blessed. But as I read this and looked at it, it just seemed like Isaac was willing to go to any extreme to bless Esau. And I looked at that. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16. Because Esau was not a... I mean, we often think, well, he was probably a pretty good person overall, you know. We, we, we tend to want to see the best in people. We want to hope that there's some good in, in everybody, right? Well, listen to what Hebrews 12, 16 says about Esau, speaking to us in, 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 in one sense. It says, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like who? See that? We, we get an idea of what kind of guy this person was. A profane person, a fornicator like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. He didn't care about the blessing. He didn't care about God. He cared about himself and living the way that he wanted to live. He was blind too. And he thought that he could live that way forever and it wouldn't matter. But I thought about it. Why on earth did Isaac want to bless Esau so bad, even if that was the kind of person he was? And here's the answer that I came up with. You can take this or leave it, but I hope you'll take it and I hope you'll think about it. He wanted to bless Esau so bad for one simple reason. It was his boy. It was his kid. It was his kid. And the result of that was Isaac wanted so bad to give his son something that he was willing to overlook truth to do it. I knew it would get quiet in here this morning. But here's the reality of it. Moms and dads, grandparents, if you're raising the kids, they got plenty of friends. They only got one set of parents. And I know with all your heart, you want to believe that they're little angels that never would do anything wrong, that tell you the truth all the time, that their social media is pure, that they're not messing around with their boyfriends and girlfriends. They're doing everything you said. They brush their teeth and put their deodorant on every night and go to bed, say their prayers, and get up in the morning and live for Jesus every day. I was a kid one time, and so were you. And if you believe that, you're more naive than I thought you were. Even the best of them are sinners. And a lot of times, guys, we are so willing to overlook the sins of our kids because they're our kids. And here's another thing, and I've seen this many times. Every time someone's child gets in trouble, it's the other party's fault. Well, my kid's a good kid. They just hang around the wrong crowd sometimes. They're good until they get around them, then they're heathens. They're... I'm just going to say this as lovingly as I can. Maybe your child's a heathen too. Maybe your child is the wrong crowd too. Maybe my child is the wrong crowd too. But ultimately, we've got to use discernment enough that if it is the case, we can't be so worried about them getting the blessing that we overlook the truth. We should not spare the rod when it's necessary. We should train up a child in the way that he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. But we reject that because we want to see our children blessed. We want to give them everything. We want them to be happy. We want them to like us. And so we reject the truth to just simply bless them. You're not blessing them. You're not helping them. They might, they, listen, they're not going to always like you. You better be okay with that. You were not given those children to be their friend. 
You're just not. Listen to this. Genesis 27, 22. Here's another one. Jacob went near to Isaac, his father. See this? Jacob goes near to Isaac, his father, and Isaac felt him. Remember, they had put the animal skins on him, so he felt like Esau. Isaac, Jacob goes near Isaac and he feels him. And listen to what he says here. The voice is Jacob's voice. But the hands are the hands of Esau. Man, that just hit me like a ton of bricks this week. Listen, look at that. The voice is Jacob's voice. But what I'm feeling is Esau. You know what I took away from that? He didn't believe what he heard. He heard it. He knew. He's like, that is not the voice of Esau. I'm convinced of that. But what I feel feels right. So I'm going to ignore what I heard. Doesn't the Bible say faith comes by and hearing by the and yet we hear God speaking to us through His Word and we say, yeah, but I feel this certain way. I feel like doing this thing. You see, we reject what we hear from the Word of God. We spurn, like I started this section with, we spurn the truth. Doesn't the Bible say that's exactly where we're at in the last days? Second Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. Listen, the time will come, we are here today, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to what? Their own desires, what they think is right, what they feel is right, because they are the source of discernment in their eyes, right? What I believe, what I say is right, because they have itching ears. Have you ever had an itch and it just won't stop? Poison eye, remember we talked about that? You scratch, the more you scratch it, that's itching ears. They're always wanting more of stuff that may, is, is wrong. They will heap up for themselves teachers... And they will turn what? Their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Guys, there is so much stuff labeled Christian today that has no bearing on Christianity. There is so much today. Just because it's in the Christian bookstore, right, Elizabeth? Amen, we worked in one. Just because it says Christian bookseller does not mean that it's articulating truth. I don't care. You can buy the book, but you better open this book up right next to it and read them side by side. And if the book you bought at Lifeway doesn't match this timeless book, the book at Lifeway ought to go. Or ChristianBook.com or Amazon or wherever you shop at. Just because it's labeled a Christian movie, a Christian television show, I'm not going to name names, you know where I'm going, does not mean that it's imparting biblical truth. It's just not. And anytime you say that, people get mad. You know why? Because they like watching it. Well, I've watched, I've watched all four episodes. I've went to the movie 14 times and seen that movie. I thought it was great. I'm not saying that you are a sinner, that you went to see the movie or you watched the television show. I'm saying that you're taking in things that are eventually going to sway you the wrong way. They just are. You don't take things into yourself and them not affect you at some point. They do. You might not see an instant change overnight, but slowly, little by little, you are going to ingest the wrong things and it's going to change you. It's just going to change you. You eat a Twinkie today, it's not going to bother you too bad. You eat Twinkies for the next 10 years every meal, I guarantee it's going to affect you. It just is. And that's how the enemy gets us. It's a slow, methodical, one step in front of the other march to hell. It just is. It just is. Last one, I promise I'm done. Number three, discernment 
must be sought. There's a source. That source can be spurned. If you want discernment, you've got to seek it. 1 Kings chapter 3. I'm not going to take you through the whole thing, but just read this this week. Read this chapter and, and write this down. God comes to Solomon. Imagine this. God comes to Solomon in 1 Kings 3 verse 5, and He says this to him, Ask, ask, what shall I give you? Can you imagine that if God appeared to you and said, basically, anything you want, I'm going to give it to you. Anything, like a blank check, it's yours. Verse 9 of 1 Kings, Solomon says, I want wisdom to do what? To judge and to discern the people. That's what he asked for. And notice what it says in verse 10. What he asked for did what? It pleased God. If I'm going to ask for stuff, I definitely want to ask for things that's pleasing to God. He asked for wisdom and discernment, and God was happy about that request. So I think we should probably take note of that, don't you? We should probably ask for things that make God happy. He wanted wisdom and discernment. And here's the thing. He asked for it. God gives it to him. And guess what happens in the very next verses? He gets a chance to put it to practice. He asked for it, and God says, Okay, I'm giving it to you. And then, for lack of time here, there's a story comes along. This woman's baby dies in the middle of the night. And so she takes the baby, and she puts it in with, the, uh, with a different mother whose baby is still alive, and she takes the other mother's living baby and says it's hers. So these two moms come before Solomon the next day, and the one mother is saying, she took my baby, this, is not, this dead baby is not mine, it's hers, and she switched them. And the other lady saying, oh no, she's crazy. You know, this is my baby, I don't know what she's talking about. And so they're going back and forth, and Solomon, with his wisdom, is able to come up with a way to figure out which woman is telling the truth and whose baby it really is. I want you to see this, and I want you to remember what I read to you earlier from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Listen to what it says in 1 Kings 3, 24 and 25. Then the king said, Bring me what? What did we say the word of God was? Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king, and the king said, Do what? Cut them in half. Divide. Didn't our verse in Hebrews 4, 12, The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide and pierce. Right? Divide the living child in two, and give half to one and half to the other. How did Solomon have the wisdom to do something like this? I would have never in a billion years thought of something like that. Would you? He asked for wisdom in a situation and it worked out. Because the real mom said, no, don't ever do that. The false mom said, go for it, cut it in half. And the real mom's like, no, no, no. Spare the child, give it to her, I don't care. Just let it live. And he knew right away. He had discernment because he sought it, guys. James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives it liberally without reproach and it will be given to him. Ask for it today if you need it. And I'm convinced as we close today, guys, the reason why discernment is so necessary is because... And I'm, again, I'm not the final judge. I can't look at you and say today, you're headed to heaven, you're not, you are, you're not. But in a room this big, I've, I'm convinced that there are people in this room that think they're all right that aren't. I'm just convinced of that, you know. 
Over and over the Bible talks about, you know, many are called but few are chosen. That the, the way to heaven is straight and narrow, not broad and wide. And I'm convinced that some of you come in here week after week and I preach the gospel to you and the Spirit convicts you and, and is calling you. And you keep turning it away. And I'm scared that one of these days that Romans 1 thing is going to be a reality in your life. God gave you up. You don't feel it anymore. You don't hear it anymore. That willful blindness that you keep choosing. I ask you every week, are you ready to stand before a holy God tonight before this service ends? Are you ready? Do you know it? I don't care, I don't care if you're a member of this church. I don't care if I baptized you. I don't care if I gave you a Bible. I'm not asking those questions. The question I'm asking you is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and is there evidence in your life that that is true? Not because you feel it, not because you say it, but because you know it based on the evidence of the Word of God. That's the only acceptable answer. That's the only right answer. And if you believe that and you say that is true, then do you live in such a way that proves it to be true? If God says it's wrong, do you say it's wrong? If God says it's good, are you pursuing those things? Are you striving for holy? Are you living separate? Or do you look just like the world? That's why it's so hard when some people come in church because they've tried to pretend all week to be somebody they're not. And then they come in here and they feel out of place. Stop pretending and get the real thing. Get the real thing. The enemy has so many ways to deceive us, guys. You have, he'll tell you you have more time. He don't care if you believe you need to be saved, just not today. You can do it later. You can wait. Put it off. You're young. Preacher will be there next week. He'll give you another opportunity. You put it off and put it off and put it off. But you're not guaranteed tomorrow. And we don't know if the Lord will come back before then. There's no guarantee. Some people think they're just too bad. Yeah, I hear you, preacher. God is love. Jesus died on the cross, but you don't know what I've done, where I've been. He'd never forgive somebody like me. That's unbiblical. You're telling me that your sin is more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ? That's not what my Bible says. The Bible says that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He said, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as wool, white as snow. The Bible doesn't tell me anybody that's too bad to be saved. And some of you think that you're not that bad. Like you're counting on yourself. You say, well, hey, if you knew how much money I gave to the homeless shelter and how many hours I've volunteered doing this and doing that, and I've never, I've cussed a few times and told a couple of lies, but I'm pretty good overall, I think God will be okay with me when I stand before Him. That's not what the Bible says. You're making a mockery of the death of Jesus Christ by saying that He needed to die for everybody else, but you can walk on in around Him. Pardon me, Jesus, while I step around your bloodied body to walk into heaven in all my glorious presence. That is the height of pride and arrogance. You need the Savior, regardless of your age, color, rank, any of it. You need Him today. Phyllis, you come. Monica and Kim are going to come. And we're going to give a hymn of invitation. And I want you to listen to what we're going to sing today. We're going to sing, Just As I Am. And that's exactly how you come. You come today just as you are. If you're lost, you're going to come lost. If you're a Christian that's backslidden, you're going to come backslidden. If you have gotten things wrong, if you need discernment today, you come in all your ignorance and blindness. Because when you get up here 
and you ask Jesus to change you, you won't walk back the same person you came as. You come as you are, but you'll leave changed from who you were. I can promise you that if you really meet Him. But the question is, will you do it? The question is, will you listen today? I hope you will. I pray that you will today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you asking you to move in this invitation, God. All the excuses are already starting. All the fear is already rearing its head. All the reasons why we should put it off are now in front of us. I pray that we would have discernment enough to know those are lies, to realize that today is the day to get it right. If we're lost, let's get saved. If we're backslidden, let's get right. If we're being called into ministry, let's do it. If we need to be baptized, let's be baptized. But Lord, let's not put off another thing today that you are calling us to do. Move in this service. Draw in such a way that it's overwhelming to us that we have to respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand, as we sing, you come. Don't wait.